Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. We're live. All right. Well, welcome to Unloose the Goose, episode six. With this amazing gaggle, myself, John Bush, Nicole Sauce, Jack Spierko, Pete Q, and Sal Mayweather. And today we are going to be talking about government schools, why they pretty much do a terrible job, why they, they their failure is accelerating. And most importantly, we are going to be talking about alternatives to government schools, whether it's homeschooling, unschooling, private schools, doing your own thing. Uh, there's a great, great quote that I've, Jack's shared as well. It's a Malcolm X quote, and this one goes out to the libertarians and agorists out there. And Malcolm X said, only a fool would let his enemy teach his children, educate his children. And, of course, if you're a fellow agorist watching this program, your enemy is the state. I think it was Albert J. Nock that said, our enemy, the state. So we want to talk about what people can do to get their kiddos out from underneath the what many people refer to as indoctrination centers. I also want to share, I know that it can be difficult because of people's life circumstances, but when you have community, uh, when you have faith, when you just give it a try, then it really can happen. And the government is actually working in our favor here because they're pushing a lot of families towards homeschooling and all that good stuff. So we got we gathered the gaggle here. I want to invite you to go check out UnlooseTheGoose.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can find all the previous episodes. And we also have a Telegram group that's pretty lively, as well as a Facebook group if you're still into all that stuff. So uh, how's everybody doing this evening? I've, I've got a nice um, little cocktail, so I'm doing pretty well. All right, she's unloosing. I'm unloosing with some Eagle Rare tonight. I've got a, a single beer, so... I, yeah. I was told last week we were all hammered by the end of the episode. That's not true. I, I didn't think I was hammered. I had one I drink. I, I had freedom. one thing of drink. Coffee. <laughs> Coffee. Is it hollow Coffee. roast? Good old Kratom. Well, maybe before we get into some of the alternatives, Jack, you've been really hammering a whole lot on, on government school, and you're noticing some trends, and like you've been pointing out, rightfully so, that a lot of the failures we're seeing in different industries that are struggling were already struggling before COVID. So why don't you share, maybe paint the picture of where you see government schools today as we speak. Uh, I think they're in real trouble, and I feel really good about that, and I've, I'm concerned about that at the same time. Um Having the audience, as I do of my show, The Survival Podcast, I get a pretty good kind of sampling of America. And the, the sheer number of people who have contacted me this year since COVID and said, my kids are never going back, has blown me away. I expected it to be fairly high. Um, I think one of the things people don't understand about this, though, it's easy to cheer this on, but, you know, be prepared to deal with some economic fallout from a lot of things from COVID. But... If we look at the public school system of uh, primary and secondary K-12 education as a single employer in this country, they're the largest employer in the country. Walmart has about one and a half million uh, employees in total. Public school system has about three million teachers, 
Actually, it's three, about 3.45 million public school teachers. Teachers you, or teachers and administrators? No, teachers. Okay. Now you add administrators, very, very astute piece. And now you add administrators, you add school bus drivers, you add janitors, and you add people that are directly and indirectly employed by the public education sector. And again, this is just K-12. We haven't gone to, uh, uh, you know, university or anything like that yet. And you're looking at about 5 million people in America that are employed directly by the K-12 system and another several million that are employed indirectly. And you got the trickle down effect after that, right? So, it's massive, and the projections that I came out with was around 10 million homeschoolers by the end of this year. And I was when I put out an article with that, I was like, I'm 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 pushing the envelope. Well, then, like two weeks ago, they had a report that came out on the mainstream media, and that's the number that the mainstream is suggesting now. And I want to be clear with what I mean about those students. Those are not students that are staying home and doing virtual school, which is the state school online. Those are students that have been extracted from the system. And so you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20%. There's about 55 million students in K-12. Well, 10 million, that's, that's a chunk, right? I mean, we can you all do the common. Those numbers up. Those right? are rookie numbers. <laughs> yeah, but that's just a start, right? That's just a start. And once this starts, it's like, I think it's like the, remember Ross Perot years ago? It's a giant sucking sound. I think that's what it is. Like once that starts, it, those those students are coming back. It was North Carolina, I believe, was the state where you have to like f- file this formal thing. Like Texas, we just say, "Hey, we're taking them out." Goodbye. Yes. Uh, North Carolina, you have to file this thing and do reporting and all. The website crashed. The state of North Carolina's website for homeschooling crashed from the number of parents. And this was like at the beginning of July, which is really telling because a lot of parents are just now going, uh, "You know what? We're not doing this." So I think that you're going to see this massive outflow of students, and the only result you can get from that is eventually a massive downsizing of the number of teachers. And I actually think this is going to be sound conspiratorial, but I think the unions and the admins are trying to create a purge of, like, you know, on-the-street teachers, so to say, like trying to protect themselves. And, and they're actually heading them into oblivion because they're the ones pushing this narrative of let's not go back to school, it's not safe, whatever – and it's very odd to me, and I'm interested in what you guys think of this dynamic. Like, for 20 years at least, I've listened to the right say accurately, the education system is run by the left, and it's an indoctrination center brainwashing our children so that they can take over the whole country. Now I'm watching the left shriek, going back to school is dangerous, which is the, the final nail in the coffin of the education system, and the right trying to save the system. And, and to me, that's it, it's inherently odd. But I mean, that's that's what I see going on there. Yeah, COVID makes for strange bedfellows, I guess. Uh, I think everyone's just so polarized. It's like the pro lockdown, pro everyone hide out camp, and then the pro freedom, pro get back to work camp, and then that's the position for the day and everyone's just bought right into it. But I don't think there's a lot of strategic foresight going on as far as the conservatives and how they can finally get rid of and cut funding for the public schooling. But I guess only time will tell how it's ultimately going to pan out, but I'm with you on your trend. I don't think conservatives ever wanted to get rid of the public schooling. They just want to take it over. They want to take it over. Yeah. And like, so I worked in a lot of, in in my free market think tank years, I worked in school choice quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And we we knew we were going to lose if we didn't have a Democrat furthering the policy, right? 
I mean, you got the Democrats going, you'd win. Conservatives would say they were behind you, and then at the last minute, whoop, I'm going to do something else because the unions just put pressure on my campaign contributions or mm. or something like that. It's it's it was one of the things that I found most frustrating about it because you would think somebody actually cared about the kids and then they don't actually care about the kids. They care about re-election. Mm-hmm. If you guys remember, um, abolishing the Department of Education was actually part of the Republican Party's platform up until the mid-90s. And then as soon as Bush came out with that no child left behind nonsense, that sort of went out the window. And that was that for me, that was one of the last straws that broke the camel's back that helped me open my eyes to the whole left-right bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I called it every child left behind. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, um, I know, like, some of us are old, but is any, was anybody here homeschooled? Nope. Public did education everyone, all the way. Did, uh, did everyone get public education? Indoctrination, yes. Indoctrination. I got in a lot of trouble for in my 11th, So in 11th grade, I had a, a English teacher come in and wrote critical thinking on the board. And encourage us to question everything, including what she said for the whole year. And I think wow. that really, like, that changed my life. That's rare. Yeah, I'm I, the only I can point to two good teachers that I had in the entire career, two good ones that challenged I'm, it. I'm the only one that went to private school? <laughs> I, I went to private school. Somebody had rich parents. I did go I did, to private no, school. No, I didn't at all. <laughs> I, I did go to a private school briefly, I went to, but I went to Catholic school. Yeah. Which was just like ultra-strict public school, and I hated it, and I didn't want to go. And my parents said I had to go, and I could not go, so I then decided I know what I'll do. I'll get myself thrown out, because if the school says I can't go, then I can't go. So I got myself <laughs> kicked out, and nice. uh, it worked. And then I went to the public school, which was I, – I really didn't think one was any better than the other, honestly. I was bored to tears in both. Um, at least they didn't make me go to church five days a week at public school. So, I mean, that's, and then I went to as much public school as they could make me go to in high school without failing. Like I was like today, my parents would be arrested as truant as I was in, in, in high school. But there's a little more, you know, I went to Catholic school too, but there's a little more structure I mean, there's a little, I went to public high school for six months and it was basically a jail. It was just a jail and but there was a little more structure in catholic school and there was at least some semblance of discipline some it, because you had to dress a little nicer yeah i hated it, it all was there was a i know but it was <laughs> but public school in fucking new york city do you know what that yeah. is you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably like jacksonville florida damn <laughs> you know? yeah. i mean brandeis high school in manhattan no, you know, no, no, not cool. <laughs> At least people out. weren't getting stabbed and shot. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's definitely preferable. Um, I want to throw out a little of the history of public education in the United States of America. A lot of people aren't aware. A lot of the people that are championing who run for public school. Originally, the when standardized curriculums became a thing in the 1800s, there was this key figure named Horace Mann. And he adopted the model that the Prussians were using, which was this top-down authoritarian with the intent of molding the student so they can be good, productive 
not thinking outside the box citizens and they can go into the factories and they can be unquestioningly loyal to the government. And he, I mean, he has a quote where he says the Prussians were using public education to crush the independent spirits of their children and ensure loyalty to their leader. And so that's kind of the foundation of what public education grew out of in this country. And even though maybe it has a nicer veneer nowadays, really, when you explore what's being put out there, it's a lot of people that aren't thinking for themselves and that are worshiping the presidency and the United States government. And I think in large part, the public education system is why we have so many people that just buy the status quo narrative hook, line and sinker, whether it's covid terrorism or whatever and it's a problem well you're taught right that authority is right yep like every single question has an answer and not only an answer but a way to get to that answer and if you get the answer even though it's right you don't do it the right way it's still mm -hmm. wrong and if you put somebody through 13 years of that and then a lot of people go to college now so another four to eight years whatever it takes for people the to get same thing for older for kids. their associate's degree right their eight-year associate's degree or whatever um then that person is is so programmed, they can't think. And when I say that, I always try to caution. I don't really mean that they're not capable. I mean that they're not capable. And I know that sounds like doublespeak, but what I mean is, like, until that conditioning is broken, they cannot think. They cannot think any different than they've been trained. And training is really important that we understand that that's, that's what you're talking about, John. That's that Prussian system. It's a, It's not a teaching system. It's a training system. So to teach you, you need to have a given level of intelligence. I can train a slime mold how to grow up a tree. To train an organism is to condition it so that it cannot respond differently than you wish for it to respond. My dogs are trained. If I say bad bird, they look up and they start barking and they chase away hawks because they're trained to do that. They're not educated to that. And that system is a blend of some training and some education. And, you know, there is certain aspects of childhood. We train our children to do certain things so that they are they don't drive us crazy and make us drink too much beer or whatever, but we should be educating them and, and teaching them to explore and teaching them to learn uh, for themselves. And that's not what that system is. And if I was to play devil's advocate and try to defend something redeeming in it at the time it was implemented, whether good or ill, the country was moving from a largely agricultural nation to a largely industrial nation. And with the advances made in agriculture, there was not going to be enough places for that many farmers. And then you had this group of people with this will and this ability to basically be the peasants of old where you had to motivate them to work because they don't have to. Like stay on dad's farm, eat dad's pigs, and eat dad's corn, and I'm good. We got lots of land. We got all the stuff we need. So they had to condition them to get them out of there. That's for the benefit of the, of the, uh, of the industrialists. But also at least by learning how to follow a bell and do what you're supposed to and stand in a line, There was a job for those people based on that training. That world does not exist anymore. So now we have the remnant of this evil system that at least had something about it that made some sense, and it now prepares our, our, our youth for absolutely nothing when they get out other than to go to more school. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, don't, I know all of you guys have run business. I don't know how many of you have had like businesses with significant numbers of employees But I had, and the first thing you had to do, no matter what somebody's education was, is teach them their job. Like, no one ever showed up, and you could just go, here's your shit, get going, unless they were like a web developer. And then they were self-taught. There was nothing about school that made that person able to sit down, and I go, I need this to do this, and link to this database. And they go, I got it, go on, and they go. That was, like, the only people ever worked for me 
that I didn't have to teach were web developers and programmers. Yeah. I mean, think about how Orwellian the, the, just the term public school is, right? There's nothing public about these things because, no. I mean, you could take your kids to any public park in the country, but you can't take your kids to any public school in the country. There's nothing schools where you go and learn, right? You're not learning anything. You're being, do, you're being indoctrinated into their false versions of history and economics that are meant to, like Jack said, just sort of fool you, almost train you really like Pavlov's dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the bells and everything, right? Oh, there's that bell. Now it's time to get up and on time with the bell. And we got to raise our hand to ask questions and even raise your hand to go to the bathroom. All of that is that conditioning to where you don't act, you don't move, you don't know the answer on your own unless it's given to you by that authority figure. That whole authority thing is a real big problem with people accepting government authority, medical authority, authority of the police officers, authority of the teacher, and not having that ability to think for themselves, which is where real education comes. Whenever you can teach someone to think, you can help them with their natural innate ability to learn and to understand the world that's what the real skill that that should be and then people can kind of just go on that's a lot of what unschooling is all about once they are given the freedom to explore the world then parents can keep them safe and you know teach them self-preservation then they go off on their own path and they really dig deep in what in what interests them not what the bureaucrats think they ought to know you know, my thing is people are always saying, like, the kids need to learn the real world, and that's what school does. And I'm like, there's nothing about school that's like the real world. Uh-huh. Let's let's say that, like, Pete and I were together, and I started, like, reaching over the cubicle and thumping Pete in the back of the head once or twice a day because I wanted to be mean to him. He's going to knock the crap out of me, and, and they're going to be like, why? And they're going to be like, Jack thumped me in the back of the head. Did you do that? Jack? Yeah, and I'll get fired. You know, or if, if, if I am like we'll both harassing get fired. him, right? Maybe we both, who knows? But, but what's not going to happen is nobody's going to expect that Pete will just learn to deal with Jack and make friends with him, right? If I'm being a dick, he has every right in the real world to, to defend himself against me. And because of that, I'm a hell of a lot less likely to be a bully because I know he has that right. We send kids into schools and they're abused by other kids. And we say that's just boys being boys or whatever. That, that makes literally no sense. And then we always say, well, teach them to stand up for themselves. We, we all know this. Bullies do not pick kids that can stand up for themselves. Right. And like, I don't care how badass you are. Like there's a number. Like I remember Ron White's bit when they threw him out of the bar and he said there were six bouncers and he didn't know how many that, that it was going to take to kick his ass, but he knew how many they were going to use all of them. <laughs> right. So like, we put these kids in this position, and then we wonder why we have, like, exploding suicide rates in our youth. And, and then you you listen to the excuses parents make about why they can't do it, and I'm like, so would you make that excuse if you were sending your kid into a building that was on fire? And, and I, I don't mean to put anybody down, but I mean, like, at least consider it before you write it off. And I think that's what COVID did is COVID made people do it whether they wanted to or not. And I think that's what – it's like a test drive, right? So people got to test drive it. And I'm just saying, these people that say my kid needs to go back to school, your kid's been home since March. It's now almost September. Whatever you needed to do to figure out how to have your kid at home, you've done. You've yeah. done. And, and I guess homeschool's not the only answer. John could talk to this. John, you have your kids in a really cool private school. It's not like, you know, the nuns that were beating on me and Pete when we were kids. You have kind of a whole different way of handling this. Yeah, I have two kiddos. I put their picture there for the for this particular show. They're seven and eight, and for the good bulk of their lives, we did unschooling, 
which is essentially like life-led learning and the parents help to facilitate their interests. Like my son is just way into gardening and he'll like have us pull over and say, Hey dad, there's some seeds on that plant and he'll go grab them and then we'll plant it back at the house. My daughter's way into dance and horses. So throughout their lives, we really just tried to facilitate that, putting them in dance class, uh, just really helping my son to grow and always have a garden wherever we were. Um, but you know, time went on and, I have this business and there were some life changes in our life, namely their mom and I split up and we're here in Austin. And so I started exploring some, some private schools. In the meantime, we did some homeschooling as well using the Waldorf model, which gave us a lot of freedom. It was very similar to the unschooling. It wasn't very strong, strict curriculum, like sit down for six hours or three hours. We're going to go through this. It was, it was also life led learning and all about nature and exploring and art um, but I found this awesome private school. There's so many different options out there from Waldorf to Montessori. This one is called Reggio Emilia, which is an Italian model that grew after World War II when everyone was disillusioned. They're like, we got to do things differently. So they brought the community and the village together to help with the education of the children. And the environment plays a big role in it. Their kid, the, the, their school has five acres. There's a creek. There's gardens. There's ducks, which I'm sure Jack would appreciate. They do mindfulness. They do yoga, all sorts of stuff. So there's a lot of different options out there. And if you're watching this podcast, you're probably more of a free thinker, uh, reject authority, maybe a little bit different, right? We're all a little weird. There are some cool, weird schools out there. But if you can't afford the school, um, of course, there's opportunities to earn more, to shift whatever it is, get a side hustle to give whatever you can for your kiddos. But if you can't, then, of course, homeschooling. There's many affordable homeschooling options. Sometimes all you got to do is pay for the curriculum. But if both parents are working, some families are doing this whole pod thing. I don't buy into the pod because I don't want to stick to who I hang out with to like a small group. That's like a COVID protection. But a lot of people are doing that. And so one thing that you can do is you can link up with, I don't know, maybe eight with the Freedom Cell model, eight other families. <laughs> and maybe like two of the days, this one parent takes lead on going through a particular curriculum. You'll all chipped in to, to buy. Then on another two days, this other parent does it or all of the eight families or four families, they all contribute a smaller amount and they hire a uh, full-time teacher for that little group of kiddos. So, you know, it's really accessible. You just kind of have to think outside the box, get creative and don't be afraid to go seek help from your community. And, you know, we can make it. You don't have to reluctantly march your kiddo back to school to wear a mask all day. I can't even imagine that as an adult, let alone a child and all the social distancing and all the hand washing and stuff. And you know that authoritarian teachers are going to be even more authoritarian because they're all freaked out about COVID. They're really going to whip those kids into shape if they're not doing the six feet thing or if they pull their mask down. So, you know, we're here to offer advice and stuff. I know Jack's done some unschooling interviews on his podcast as well. It's it's a lot easier than you think. Well, and there are lots of options. Like, I'm really sold on Excellus for our grandson, but that's because it's working for him. And we're, we're getting a really unique view into this. His other grandparents are both public school teachers. Um, they are not exactly pleased with the fact that he's being homeschooled and that he's excited to come to our house to go to school. <laughs> and his sister's four, so she's like, a, you know, pre-K age, and we don't have a formal program with her at all. We're, but we kind of do like an unschooling thing with her. And it's, you know, kind of grandma led. And the main purpose of even giving her an education at this point at all is so she has school like brother does. So she'll leave him the hell alone while he's doing his school. <laughs> because otherwise she's constantly harassing him. And he actually is enjoying the hell out of this. Um, 
another thing that's given us a window into how popular this is, this week, I guess, is when everybody started back. And he started back about two weeks ago because you can start homeschool whenever you want. And so starting this week, he would finish a lesson. And then instead of being able to go right to the next lesson, he's getting kicked out of the app from Excellus because there's so many people now using it that it's overloading their servers. And as soon as you finish, like, I guess the network protocol thing is kicking people out because you're, you're not engaged in a lesson and it's their get by until they upgrade their servers. So clearly this is like an overwhelming thing for just this one platform, but there's tons of options. But he had to go last week because Dorothy had to go get some, uh, some oral surgery done and he had to go to their house. And we were worried about like him continuing on and off. Well, he just gets there, whips out his iPad, logs in, starts doing his school. And like, this is cool because we, we're the ones responsible for this and we have like our own portal and we can log in and watch him taking his test and like it rats him out if he's not doing his work. And, and he's like dead on it all the time. Well, he gets quizzes at the end and tests at the end. He takes them, does them. He got an 80 the other day, right? He's nine. He got an 80. He was pissed. Right. I got it. He was mad that he got an 80. He's got like a 4.0 GPA in this thing already, but he was pissed off about an 80. We had to explain to him, dude, it was a quiz. There's only five questions. So if you miss one, that's what you get. But he was pissed and he, he went and redid the lesson to retake the quiz because he didn't want a freaking 80. No one's making him do this. He's lit up with this and he's excited about it. And he wants to learn. And it goes back to the, I have these people on my expert council, the LaPrise uh, couple, Mike and Sue. And what Sue told my wife when she was worried about doing this, I was like, let, let her talk to Mike and Sue because Prophet has no honor type thing. And she said, look, Dorothy, um, there is no way you can make a child learn something that they want to, they don't want to learn. You can't make them do it. And there's absolutely no way you can prevent them from learning something they do want to learn. So your job is to help them want to learn and then they take it from there. And that's, I mean, I don't know. I know, Nicole, you've got nephews and nieces and stuff, but you don't have any kids of your own. How many of y'all do have kids? And what has been your experience? Other Because, John, you've kind of given us yours. Pete, Sal, do y'all have kids? Your father? No? No kids. I'm, I've, I'm, got a, I've got a question from you, too, but go ahead, Sal. Sorry, I interrupted. No, I was just saying, I don't have any kids. And I my experience is just I basically got thrown out of public school, so... I, I think I had like a 0.6 GPA or something like that. But then I went to college and I studied something I wanted to study and my GPA yeah. was 4.0. So it just goes yeah. to show you like Jack is saying, if you're interested in it, you're going to do good. But if you're not, then it's like prison. Yeah. I wanted to build on something that John had said about how, how schools are designed. I mean, they're literally designed like a assembly line. The bell rings in the morning and they go to one area and they pick up something there and then they go, the bell rings and they go to the next. And when you look at that comparison, you realize how much of an anachronism it is. It's for a hundred years ago. It's for 120 years ago. But then think about your job. Most people's job is the exact same thing. You get there and you have to sign into the ADP or the Ultra Pro app, and then you're there for the day. And oh, you start the bell rings and you go to lunch. You know, a metaphorical bell. And it's just, it's what Michel Foucault referred to as a system of control of uh, obedience. They've they're basically training you in a way to break you of your spirit so that you're an obedient being 
yeah. within their system, a cog that just obeys and goes on. Yeah. And they it's can't only- break you. They ridicule you and they send you to the office and detention and in school suspension. Well, yeah, you have kids to be- get in more trouble now for questioning a teacher than they do for actual disobedience, like actually doing something wrong, like, you know, smacking the kid next to him or something. They get in more trouble for telling a teacher, I think you've got this wrong than they do for abusing their fellow student. And that tells you where the priorities are, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, how does that make any sense other than. Pete is absolutely 100% correct. That's the only way that makes sense, that it's, it's, it's a greater crime to say, hey, I don't agree with this, than it is to abuse another kid or take his lunch or, or something like that or just whatever kids like, are doing to each other Just now. to connect that with what John was saying earlier about like the history of all this, in Rothbard's um, little uh, essay or booklet, uh, education free and compulsory, he throws a lot of this on the Puritans. And he says a lot of it started with the Puritans as a model of like obedience, like you guys are saying. And that sort of spread throughout the country. So it was sort of this model designed to make people into what they thought was a good citizen. Now, now we have it all over the country. And because it's a monopoly, there's no competition. So it's been stagnant and static ever since. And that's why the same educational model we have today, where it's like 20 or 30 desks in front of a chalkboard, and some one lecturer at the board, we have that same exact model today. But if you compare that with like the amount of change in like the mm-hmm. cell phone industry just over the last five years, yeah. I mean, it blows it out of the water. There's no comparison. No one. Yeah. Well, everybody's got one of these, right? So a cell phone for those that are on the audio podcast, do you have more computing power in this little device than the bank of computers that put a man on the moon in 1969? And we're using a Allegedly. model from the 1880s, right? Allegedly, yeah, okay. <laughs> no moon. Right. Yeah, but who remembers card catalogs? Do you remember card catalogs? Uh, the Dewey oh, yeah. Decimal system. Oh, yeah, that was fun. You could probably use the existing you'd like, libraries. You'd find a book and you'd look to all the ones next to it to see if they were also helpful on your journey. I, I bet we could use the existing card catalogs that are still in libraries to pass secret messages to each other because no one knows how they work. That's see, there's, there's an idea. You could just like write a little index card and stick it in there and t- tell a person like a, a Dewey Decimal number and they could go find it and no one would ever see it. <laughs> you know got, okay, so I've got a question from YouTube. It's from REF. So how do you encourage friends and family on the fence about unschooling, homeschooling, or alt-schooling to, to go for it? I, I have a bit of an answer because, as you said, I have nieces. I, I trained to be a, a government school teacher. And then it was not a good fit for me. But my sister has a situation where they're doing half days of school and digital. And if they decide to, they'll go all digital. And so then I asked her, well, have you looked into homeschooling? Because she's got two really curious, smart girls. And, of course, they're my nieces. So they're the smartest girls in the whole world. Um, And she called me because I asked her about four times. I kept asking, have you considered homeschooling? She said, do you think I should homeschool my kids? And I said, no, I think you should look at the option. And I have two friends who offer consulting that's not all that expensive, like a dollar a minute, to to talk about what the options are so you have it in your wheelhouse. So I think the mm. worst thing we can do is push people towards a solution rather than open the door and say, look through this door. Is this Is this of interest to you? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But when you look at how they're doing the digital training in a lot of districts, it's no good. I've got one friend who just posted the Alexandria School District's idea right now. Kids go to school. 
teachers come in like Max Hedrum on the TV, and the school bus drivers are required to, to be there for discipline. <laughs> the precious teachers. Why aren't you homeschooling yet? Wow. <laughs> That's the question. Just... There's on, my TV yeah. teacher, you know. and uh, So... So my thing with that is what I found one to be one of the most effective ways to have this conversation is instead of saying this is why you should do this, is let people talk themselves into how bad school sucks. Because when we grow up, we always have this, like, you know, every dad tells you about how badass he was in school, and your dad was probably, like, some guy that got his ass kicked in school. Like, that, that's the reality. Um, so when you ask people and you're having an adult conversation, so what was the best part about going to school for you? What do you remember from your school that was the best part about being in school? And they generally have this kind of look that everybody else has right now on their face, like, well, what the hell was? Like, they don't really know. And if they do come up with something, it would be like hanging out with my friends and stuff like that. And then my response would be, so can your kid hang out with friends without going to school? Because I don't think they're supposed to, like, socialize and have fun in school. They're supposed to learn, right? And then they're like, well, yeah. So, okay, so what was the best part about going to school as far as the educational experience? And most people actually don't have a very fond memory of it, and they'll tell you all the things that are wrong with school. You want to you, like you want to convince a teacher the school sucks. You don't have to convince them. You just got to get them talking. You're like you say, well, why don't you fix the education system if there's a problem with it? And they'll start telling you all the reasons it can't be fixed. Where if you tell them all the reasons, you could be right. You could say exactly what they believe. They'll resist you. But if you're like, no, nah, I think school's not that bad, right? Then they, oh, let me tell you. And you so you use the same approach. With parents, what, what, what was so great about school when you were in school? What do you know now that's really important to your life other than the basics that they can learn from you that you know because of school? And they don't really know. But then when you, if they start to say anything, shut the F up and let them talk. Them and when they start themselves. to slow down, stay quiet and let them fumble through it. And let them get to that place where they already know the answer. And then my other thing would be introduce them to, to kids that have been homeschooled for a while. Because mm -hmm. that's what, like, when I was, like, my initial opinion of homeschooling was pretty negative. Because the only kids I knew that were homeschooled, like, back in the 90s when I was coming up my professional career, and guys that worked with me had their kids, they were all kind of weird kids. And I don't mean to be mean, but they just were. <laughs> and that was the main people who did homeschool back then because they did it to protect their children. When I started meeting homeschool kids, when I started, like, hiring hands for my farm and stuff like that, and these kids would walk in and look you in the eye and shake your hand in the way, I'd be like, you're homeschooled, aren't you? Yeah. And I meant in a complimentative way. So, like, if you want your kid to be that way, then do what made that kid that way. And so I think, you know, number one, ask them about their experience, and two, get them introduced to homeschoolers and homeschool kids. Yeah. Can I just say, like, I mean, if I don't think, like, To me, it sounds crazy, the idea that you would need convincing not to let politicians educate your children. I mean, they blow up schools for a living, literally. That's their job. They bomb children. They've murdered children. So these are the last people who should be anywhere near a, a quote-unquote school. Yeah, especially if the school board is controlled by people that don't share your values. That's a problem. I, I would just echo what Jack said. Those are two really hot things. I think most parents... Uh, innately understand that the public schools aren't serving their children as well as they could be, or they're not giving their children everything that they, that they want. And everybody's unique and different. Um, my sister, for example, she has two kiddos. They're super bright, super brilliant, and they excel 
at sports. And so there's kind of a built in element of the extracurriculars. However, they're doing so good that they're invited to play on select teams and private teams. So they don't necessarily need the school for that element of it. But I would just have the conversation, like Jack was saying, in kind of a, uh, uh, Socrates Aristotelian way where you kind of get them to, to answer their own questions and they're kind of convincing themselves and everyone's had issues with public schools, issues with the teacher, issues with the PTA, cutting funding, bullying, so on and so forth. And then there's this great equalization where the brilliant kids kind of get slowed down at the pace of everyone else. Right. And then sometimes kids that are struggling and they would do better in a different environment or they would do better with more one-on-one or at least one-on-eight, right, uh, they also get left behind as well. And like we said, I thought it was no child left behind. And then the whole unschooling thing, I'm involved with some groups that are like hardcore radical unschooling where it's like almost total freedom when it comes to whatever, screen time, the food that the kids are eating, no discipline whatsoever, definitely no spanking. And when you observe these kiddos, sometimes my kiddos included in some ways, it's like kind of wild. And there's an element of feral children. Right. But then there's these conferences we go to called Rethinking Everything. It's very pure, radical unschooling for a good chunk of them. And they have they always have a panel on teenage unschoolers and adult unschoolers. And you're like, whoa. And just like Jack said, when you when you see these children now as adults, there's just a different level of consciousness and awareness. And there's definitely a different manner in which they interact with other adults. It isn't like an authority and then an inferior relationship. It's like, I can speak to you. I have respect for you, but we are equals in a sense. And I think that's really valuable in going into the world. And it's especially valuable for we libertarians and agorists when you just have that innate sense of sovereignty. Um, I know my kids, sometimes they're a little too free and I'm like, whoa, but they cause me to check myself. But I know that they're just going to grow up rejecting arbitrary authority and they're just not going to ever going to accept that, you know. So on that, like I would I would not unschool my grandson. I just wouldn't do it, um, especially with the structure we're using where he's doing a, a recognized curriculum that's completely private and it's under our supervision. But he's knocking it out in an hour and a half to two hours a day. So the way I look at that is I feel that since I know he can do that and he knows he can do that, how much more freedom do you want? Like, here's your here's your stuff, kid. Knock it out. And that's how this happened. Like, when he first started doing it, we were doing the, the school from, from, you know, the state stuff because we got pushed into it like everybody else did in March. And for, like, the first week, my wife was ready to cry. She was losing her mind. He was obstinate. He was taking all day. And I sat down with him. I said, you're blowing it, dude. I looked at what your work. You can do this in probably two, three hours a day. You could have all the rest of the time to yourself, but I guess you don't want to be free. And I left it at that. And like Dorothy was like, holy crap, that's pretty harsh on a nine-year-old. So like two days later, he's in the garage and they had just got back into the car and they're packing stuff up from groceries. He looks at Dorothy and he goes, I just want to be free. <laughs> and that was it. Dude hit it on Monday. He tore into it. And now he's like, he gets here. And he jumps on it. And then he has basically an unschool experience because everything a kid does is learning. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's on the computer a lot, but he's, like, he's all into big cats and stuff like that. And he's outside exploring. He's fighting trees with a stick or whatever. Like, I'm not going to get in the way of that, but I give him that structure. But this is back to how do you convince a parent of that. You know why I do that? Because I 
and his parents and my wife got together and decided this was the way we wanted to do things. You did it your way, and now you found like a private school for whatever your reasons were, John, because you decided that's what you wanted to do. And every parent I know who's done this in one way or another figured out what they wanted for their child, and they did it that way. So the people that are on the fence, my question to them is, why shouldn't you have your child educated the way that you want your child educated? And then again, silence. Because the only answer to that is there isn't a good reason other than I've been told otherwise. But what we also learned, and Dorothy struggled with this, that conditioning has been done to the person you're talking. Don't think about the kid. Think about the parent. This conditioning, the state must approve you. Like it took a very long conversation with this woman who has been homeschooling for 30 years for my wife to let go of the fact I don't have to talk to the state. I don't have to report to them. There's no, like, like they don't send anybody, like, the, the, the very fact that in Texas, you just, you just, you know, John, you just, you do your thing, you say you're going to teach these five core concepts, and as long as you say you're doing it, you're doing it, and you yeah. never talk to them again, and if you homeschool all the way through, the way your kid gets a high school diploma in, in Texas is you make your own transcript and your own diploma, you take it to a notary republic, your neighbor goes there and signs and stamp, and there it is, and it's done. Yeah. And, It was hard for her to accept that that's how it worked, and you could still go to college, and people go to Ivy League schools doing this. So understand if you're trying to push that person, that's one of their hang-ups. And, and the thing is, and the reason I'm going this long with it, they don't even know it. Dorothy didn't know it was her problem until Sue, Sue got it out of her, which I would have never gotten it out of her. We were too close to each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And the whole private school thing, like the unschooling or even the radical unschooling is for some people, for some families, especially if it's like entrepreneurial parents or whatever. But I have found throughout my parenting in general, um, like I'm a nonviolent parent, although I occasionally raise my voice and I try to do so in, in like a controlled manner. Sometimes I lose my crap. But early on, it was like not only was it not spanking, and I'm a big opponent of using initiating violence against children. Initiating violence against anyone is the non-aggression principle, but we especially ought not to do that. In my opinion, that doesn't mean you're a bad parent if you do, but I think we especially ought not to do that to little youngsters because, like I was saying earlier, it teaches them that it's an acceptable thing to do in order to change someone's behavior. And then when the cop comes doing that, it's like, oh, that's you know, there's that's there's okay. a connection there. Um, but As I matured as a parent and as my kids got older, I realized that we did need more order, right? And people are like, how do you discipline your kids? And I like to break that word down because I don't, you know, sometimes we do like take the technology away. We like to do cool downs like you are really hurting your sister, cramping your sister. You need to leave the room. This is a peaceful space where we come into community. We're not yelling at each other. We're definitely not hitting each other, right? Um, but it kind of stops at that element. And I break the word down discipline. The, the root of it is disciple, right? And the best thing that we can do as parents is lead by example. So obviously if dad's losing his shit at mom all the time and yelling, you can expect the kids to recreate that, right? Mm -hmm. Or if dad's buried in his phone all day and the kid's like losing it because he wants attention, he's acting out then there's something there. So we got to take a lot of responsibility. So I kind of recognized that there was a little bit too much chaos in my life and my children's life. And the private school, even though it's a pretty freedom oriented private school, there's more structure. There's wake up at a specific time. We got to be there. Uh, there's teachers. There's 
more of a curriculum there, it has really benefited my children and their behavior and their overall wellness and balance as a whole. So really, it's all about finding that middle path. Like the Buddha said, it's all about finding that balance that fits for the parents, but also honoring the kids' needs and making sure that they're jiving with it. Because like someone said, I think it was Jack earlier, you can't force them if they're not digging it. And that'll just lead to trouble and frustration for everybody. I'll tell you, I don't know what happens, but I think you get something I call Papa Powers when you become <laughs> a grandparent. Like I struggled with all this stuff when I was a parent, and I did the best I could. It's so easy now. <laughs> I all I gotta do is look at them, and they stop. And it's crazy. And it it's not like it's them because my son's like, "How do you do that?" I'm like, "I I don't know." But I mean, one of the things I learned as a parent with my son, who was a stepson, and I came into his life when he was seven years old, and that makes it far more complicated because you're not my real dad type of thing. You have to earn the title of dad when you do that. Um, you don't just get it. But as he got a little bit older and we started to struggle with some things, I learned, number one, it was much easier to simply say that your behavior negated your access to things than it was to punish him in a conventional sense. So, like, I would just change the password on the wireless router, and this is before cell phones. And he I can't get on the net. You don't have a wireless router, and you don't have an Internet connection. You get to use mine, and the dog stinks. The dog needs a bath. You need a password. I think we can make a compromise. And there was no tension. And then my other thing with him goes to what you were saying about discipline, John. Discipline is only useful if it's employed in a way that it transfers to the individual for themselves. So I had this conversation so many times with Matthew, and I've begun to have it with Braylon because he's getting old enough now to, to understand it. My goal for you is for whatever rules I do have to decrease in number every year. Because by the time you're 18, I should have zero rules for you because you're an adult, you're a grown man. Law looks at you that way. Society looks at you that way. How can I possibly have a rule for you when society says you're an adult and you can do anything you want? So I think it'd be really stupid for me to have all these rules for you all the way up to the exact last day that you're 17 years old and 364 days, and then they all go away poof in one day, and I don't think that would be very fair to you. So I should be taking away rules every single day if I possibly can. And the more you'll take care of your own needs, the less rules I'll have for you. And let's make that deal. Let's make that agreement. I think one of the ways to get across to children is to give them as much control as you can without – like being dumb. You don't let a five-year-old that doesn't know how to swim run around a pool by herself. That would be dumb. What you do is you teach that kid to swim. So if she does that, she won't drown. And you still, you know, you give oversight to a kid in a dangerous situation. But how much can you turn over as quickly as possible, make that your goal, and then use common sense with it? Yeah. It's a complex thing. And for all the parents that are like just thinking that they're blowing it or whatever, or totally clueless, like one bit of advice I always give is to just go with your gut and trust your instincts as a parent. Not the book that everyone recommends, not the special guest on the Today Show in the morning or whatever. It's go with your instincts because they're your children and we're programmed to care for our children, to to raise them up to be successful adults. So go with your instincts and trust yourself, you know, because who knows? You don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time. This is my first time to have kiddos. They're still pretty young. I've screwed up quite a bit, but I think I've done a lot of stuff right, you know, and the proof is in the pudding. They're starting to grow into little mature little beings when before, like I said before, they were totally feral and wild. So I'm going with my gut. My gut says what we're doing now is right. 
You know, a lot of parents are scared about what homeschooling and what if the kid wants to learn something I don't know? Mm. What if we get into calculus or something? And I had a friend who had a child in the 80s, and instead of homeschooling, he just refused to admit he had a child, so the state had no idea. <laughs> and it was because he didn't want to Freedom. put his kid into the public school system, not because he's libertarian, but because he's very progressive. Okay. And so it wasn't progressive enough. And so he taught his kid, and then came the day where he said, well, what language you, would you like to learn? It's time to learn a foreign language. And his kid answered, and it was not a language he spoke. Yeah. And so what they did is they got a book learned together and scheduled a trip for six months later to a country that spoke that language. Cool. And they figured it out. And I think a lot of parents, A, don't know how much they already know that they can help their kids with. And B, kids are raring to learn when they decide, as somebody said earlier today, when they decide to learn something, they're just going to learn it. And all you have to do is make that connection with a way for them to learn. Not everybody can run off to France or whatever, but yeah. you'd be surprised how many Rosetta times Stone, you can man. do something like that. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's an, an app, app for that, that right? Yeah. Rosetta there is, Stone. There is now. In the 80s, mm. there was yeah. not. But the whole thing, how do I, how do I handle Berlitz, my child I wanting think. to learn something I don't know? You don't have a problem. The minute they want to learn it, you don't have a problem. They're going to, they're gonna, especially today, because now there is Rosetta Stone. There's probably some person with, you know, learn French in 20 minutes a day on YouTube, right, or, or library TV or something mm-hmm. like that. So why, why worry about that? And that, my, my other thing was, well, what if they get into something and they're struggling with it and I can't? Okay, then we hire a tutor for a week or two. And mm-hmm. we hire a tutor to do the exact one thing kids trying to do, wants to do, and is having a problem with. And they know exactly what needs, you know, help. They need help with. And my other thing is don't feel that they need to learn everything that you're told they need to learn because most people are like, well, they got to learn calculus. Really? When's the last time you used calculus? When you took your SATs? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, let's stop lying to them and say that. And and if a kid is going to have a career that's going to use math, guess what? If they want to do it, they're going to learn it. Yeah. They already did research and determined you can take a kid. At eighth grade level, it's not been taught any math. And in one year, most people can master K through eight math in a single mm-hmm. year. So why are we it's getting twisted? Earlier, we were talking about, like, you know, kids that are going slower or faster. Some kids go really fast in social studies and science and history and slow in math. If you homeschool, don't worry about that. Let yeah. them go slow in math. And when they get way ahead then they have all the time in the world to catch up with mathematics, and they will when they're ready. This yeah. idea that every kid needs to progress in five or six subjects exactly one year every year mm-hmm. is absolutely asinine. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for it other than when you're going to try to educate 2,500 kids in one building, you have to do it that way. Yeah, no, that's really good. I know a lot of parents uh, struggle with insecurity, and the keeping up with the Joneses phenomenon, and my neighbor's kid or my coworker's kid is A plus this and already reading at this level, this and that, that is a paradigm for public schooling, which even though they're like, I don't want to homeschool because my kids won't be socialized. Well, it's not a very natural phenomenon for every kid to only be with their same age group. That um, doesn't really teach you how to exist in the world when we're dealing with all, like we're all different ages on this this show here, you know? And so I think when parents can let go and trust that their children, when they're given the proper resources and in an environment where they can learn, 
their children will develop intellectually at the pace that is most suited for them. And you don't have to try to force it along because your parent is judging you or your neighbor's kid is doing better. You got to let go of that insecurity, trust the process, trust freedom, right? Freedom's the answer. What's the question? And they're going to be okay. And if they don't end up learning for a few years longer than you learned when you were in elementary school or whatever, that's okay too, especially if they're not forced into it. Because like my kids learn to read a little bit later. My son still struggles and is starting to learn to read. My daughter just got it. Now she's like devouring little novels and stuff. But everyone, that kind of felt like there was some insecurity there with that for me. But the thing is, if you try to force it and you pressure it and you transfer that insecurity onto the child, then they're going to resist even more. Whereas if you're giving them the freedom, you're patient with them, then it's the kids are going to learn to read. They're not going to be an adult and still not know how to read. And especially if they find something they're interested or the Minecraft games or the gardening or help with the instructions, it's like, well, you know, you could do this on your own. Let's work on it. And then it's going to be more fun for them. It's not going to be forced upon them. Coercion doesn't work. Force doesn't work. No, think about it this way, like the socialization thing. How would you guys feel like? Sal, like I, I just grab you and I say, you know what? You're going in this building with 2,000 other people every day for eight hours a day. Make friends. Right. right? You, you don't have friends because somebody shoves you in a building and tells you to make friends. Like when you could say like, so you're putting me in prison for eight hours a day. That's how I would feel. You have friends because. I'm asking why, why, why are your friends your friends, Sal? Because I choose them. And you choose them because you have values in common because I like being around them. You have common interests, right? And you, you make a free choice. So what we do to these kids when we shove them into a building, we say, well, go make friends with Billy. Well, maybe Billy's a dick. Or a drug right? dealer or a bully. Or maybe your kid's a dick to Billy. Like maybe your kid's not a dick all the time, but maybe your kid hates Billy and Billy's not a bad kid, but you, you know, and you're forcing these relationships. You know, poor Billy. Billy gets beat up all the time, right? You know? Socializing isn't, socializing shouldn't be considered cavorting with uh, drug dealers and bullies and sort of riffraff that come from all over the region, right? You should be able to socialize with your friends and people that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. It's just common and, sense, really. And what if your kid doesn't like people? What if your kid is an introvert? Or what are your kids like? Like when I was a kid, I got along great with other kids, but I also really enjoyed like spending like six hours up in a tree waiting to shoot a deer with an arrow. When I was 14 years old, I'd sit non-moving quietly in the woods for six hours at a time. Maybe that's your kid. Maybe your kid wants to do that. Like, you talk about learning. You learn a lot sitting in the forest for six, eight hours a day observing nature. You learn a ton. There's no way you'll ever replace that with a with, with, with a class. And people say, well, kids can't do that all the time. Why not? Why not? I, I mean, I don't have a good answer to that rhetorical question. There is, as long as they get the, the knowledge they need to do whatever they want in life, why should we take away the hours of our children's days with needless work or needless bullshit? Because how many of you, if you could, would love to go back to being 10 years old and have your whole life to live all over again? That's a very precious <laughs> period of time, Pete right? Pete says no. Pete says no. Pete says but you no. don't have to go to Catholic school in New York City, Pete. Well, I don't want to go to school. I mean, some of my... You don't have to go to school. Nightmares <laughs> that... I have nightmares sometimes that I'm back in school. And, I mean, those are nightmares. I mean, six, seven hours of just sitting in a chair and, I mean, this very... I mean, that's... 
it, it, no one wants to talk about the fact that it's just a picture of church where there's someone up in the front preaching to you and telling you what to believe. But you know, another good resource that I, I've pointed people to is all these former teachers and even professors who have completely abandoned the system and now they speak out against it. Thaddeus Russell, Daniel Coffeen, both of these guys will tell you that like, if you say, Oh, how, how do you fix schools? They'll both say, raise them, raise them to the ground. <laughs> I mean, and these are, these were tenured professors. I mean, one who yeah. taught at Columbia, one who taught at UC Berkeley. I mean, yeah. these are people coming out of the system and telling you, and Thaddeus, who's built his own university, online university, which teaches rhetoric and teaches, you know, Nietzsche and teach all these amazing things. These are people who were in there and said, this, we're hurting people. We're hurting these people, these young people and got out. So on Taylor Gatto too, he was a teacher. Yeah. He's the one that wrote the underground history of education and really blew the lid with a very thorough research on the origins and the purpose of public schooling. And there's a guy named John Holt. He's the guy that came up with the whole unschooling concept. And basically it was like, kids need to have fun. Kids need to be kids. He was a public school teacher too. So they're some of our best, they're the best players on our team. The kid, the, par- the public school teachers that go through the system. Brett Fanat. I mean, he's a school sucks podcast. Yeah, he's on point. That's a great resource also. Every single teacher that quits, it's the day they quit that they'll tell you the truth about the education system. There's, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said something. It's impossible to convince something, somebody something that their, uh, their livelihood depends on. You know, my, my wife was that way. My wife was a pediatric nurse for years, and I couldn't tell her a thing about vaccines. Right, I couldn't say a, a word negative about vaccines, and now she'll come to me. Did you know this? Yeah, I, I knew that. I told you that twenty years ago. Stop. <laughs> I, it's all mad now, right? You know, and like we're not completely anti-vax. I, I I think there's some vaccines that make sense for some people at certain times and whatever. But like she couldn't see anything negative because she was giving children that she loves children these shots every day of her life. And a teacher that's in the system is not going to tell you what's wrong with the system unless they're close to snapping and breaking and leaving and doing an Ant-Man and going down the, the side of the plane after a couple shots of booze, if you remember that little fiasco. Like, when they're in that mode, they'll, they'll tell you the truth. But um, in general, they're going to defend the system because they are the system. But, boy, the minute they come out of it, then the truth comes out. And the book comes out. The book comes out. So I, I actually wanted to go back to something that we touched on earlier because we kind of were talking about alternatives to the government education system. And homeschooling has been something we spent a lot of time on. Uh, but I think John mentioned the pods that are starting to happen. So both in homeschooling and in the digital-only areas, families who are friends with each other are coming together as a pod and hiring teachers to teach them also sharing the daycare burden, right? So you can go to a different place every time. Mm-hmm. What can we learn from that moving forward? Because it's almost like you're replacing the government school system and the daycare it provides for kids when both parents have to work with this rotating community thing. And they're putting money into teaching them, you know, something like Spanish or whatever, separate from the government schools i just it's, it's an interesting thing that's coming up from from underneath yeah it's beautiful it's decentralized we're seeing this shift away from the centralization away from the one size fits all 
to a more decentralized community-based approach and the natural thing. It used to be the schoolhouse in the neighborhood. It wasn't everyone got put in a bus and taken to the big, expensive, complex compound that's built like a prison. It was the schoolyard down the road where you knew the teacher and all the kids went and played in the fields together before and after school. Uh, That's what we moved away from, and it's good to see that we're moving back towards that. So, yeah, working with the family around you definitely lightens the load and the burden for, for everyone. You could hire the teacher that just got laid off or quit. Yep. Come teach your kids, and everyone splits it. Eight. Hire the one that quit, not the one that got laid off. There you I'm go. I was going to suggest that. You know, but that actually opens up an incredible opportunity because I think parents will naturally try to do something they shouldn't, and if they don't do it, then you'll get this opportunity. So they'll try to, like, let's try to get all the kids together that are all, like, eight years old. Like, so let's find other – so that they're all at the same level. Let's not do that. Because one of the things that John was talking about was the little schoolhouse. What that used to be is they would, the kids were in rows, but you know, you had like the 12th graders, the 11th graders, like in like this. And what would happen inevitably is fourth graders turn around and teach the third graders how to. Yeah. And then 12th graders turn around and teach the 11th graders how to. First graders turn around and teach the kindergartners how to. And it, that comes right in. And that's, that is actually pre the current system. That is how schools were run heavily prior to the civil war. They were run that way. And that is actually very military in its mindset. When I was in the military, we had the concept of see it, do it, teach it. And then, you know, it. Mm. So when you were learning how to do something like a, a, an essential skill, like how to tie a Swiss seat for rappelling, you see an instructor do it, you do one, then you teach the instructor back what they just taught you. And until you can teach it, you don't know it. And once you taught it, you know it. And so I think these pods, it, I, I know John kind of said it's not really the way he wants to go. It's not what I want to do either. But again, I'm back to parents doing what they want. But boy, if you're doing it, what an opportunity to start using the kids that have already learned something to teach the kids that are learning that thing. Because all of you guys do podcasts. And so all of you are teachers. And you know how much you learn when you teach. You probably learn more about the subject you teach than you could have ever learned in any class. And, and so teach children to become teachers. And, and my definition of teaching is, and people get pissed at this, but a teacher is someone whose students become so passionate about what they're learning, they start teaching without even knowing they're teaching. And if you're not doing that, you suck as a teacher. Like Seriously, like you, you're not a good teacher if your students don't have students. And so why don't we, why don't we encourage that in our children? I think that's a tremendous opportunity. And I also think it's like, you know, I'm lucky. I work from home. My wife's retired. So we can do our, our grandchildren the way that we do. There's a lot of people don't have that. And this pod is a solution because if the kids go to a different house each day of the week, well, then I only need to figure out one day of the week that I'm home from work. And that's, a, that's usually a lot easier to negotiate. So I think it, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Corey, um, Corey DeAngelis has been talking a lot about this. The, he's like the director of the educational policy over at Reason, and he works at the Cato Institute. And he's been talking about these micro schools or pods, I guess, a lot. And I think it all goes back to economics, right? 90% of agorism is disrupting state monopolies. And that's exactly what these micro schools do or these pods do is they take a government monopoly and they decentralize the shit out of it. That's what basically, you know, we're creating a local production facility that bypasses state regulation. It's just that you're, you're producing an education. And that's what I think really is like the whole key of like what you guys are saying about pods is just the introduction of competition into a monopolized market. Once that, by the way, I think it's important. Once that monopoly is broken, it's very difficult to piece it back together. 
Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's very difficult to get a person back into the system. And like, you know, you, we were talking earlier about convincing parents the time to do this is now. This is my biggest kind of push if we're going to push it all. Do it now because if you change your mind, you can go back. Which you if you, yeah, yeah, I, I just, my, my kids were a little bit nervous about this when we started homeschooling my grandson. You know, like, well, but what if it doesn't work? Then he goes back. Trust me. They'll let him back in. They're not going to be like, oh, no, you can't come back in. They will beg him to come back. Yeah, but they want that money. Yeah. When this giant sucking sound begins to really be heard and they're just starting to hear it now and freaking out now, I think they're going to start making it harder and harder to leave. And so I would tabs. leave now while you can get out of the system. Well, John, now. you and Jack have it nice because you guys are in Texas. But um, in the book School Revolution, Ron Paul writes about some real horror stories about people who have CPS showing up to their house and mm -hmm. Child Protective Services telling them that they have to take their kids because you're not abiding by the strict curriculum that the two political parties have set out for you. So yeah. you guys have it nice, but some places there, I mean, it gets rough. Move. Yeah, but with your feet. <laughs> For real. Move, man. There was an effort, Walk actually. Freedom. We are blessed here in Texas with relative freedom. And one of the first big act, political activist efforts that I was involved in in uh, this political action committee we started, Texans for Accountable Government, was forcing Rick Perry to veto Senate Bill 1440 that passed, I think, in the 2011 legislative session. And what it would have done, because Texas is pretty big on homeschooling, it would have allowed uh, social workers and CPS workers to go to your house and interview your children without a warrant or even without a court order. Only because you were homeschooling. Because you were homeschooling, That's because there's reason. an element of getting control and getting their hands on the children. And even the Supreme Court on multiple occasions throughout the history of this country has ruled that the government is basically who controls and owns the children, not the parents, right? And so because there's so many homeschoolers, they couldn't keep tabs on them. And then, of course, they, there is an element of abuse, right? And that does get brought out in the public school when you see little Billy with the bruise on his arm. Um, but that was their excuse when in reality they just want to have control. And when the government starts to lose control, they kind of freak out a little mm -hmm. bit and they fight for that control. And that passed. And we managed to put enough pressure thanks to a coalition. We had the Texas Homeschool Coalition, which is super powerful lobbying group, thankfully, in the state of Texas. And we got Rick Perry to veto that. So that's not the case. But you can see states like California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, they are definitely going to be increasing their ability to get their hands on you and your children as more kids homeschool. And like Jack said, if you can, just move to it for your state and join yeah. us down here in Texas. Become Texas a pig farmer. Good. Florida's good. <laughs> Duck farmer. Georgia's pig pretty farmer good. Pig is much more useful. See? I mean, I know you, you don't have kids, so you don't homeschool. But Georgia's a pretty good state for homeschooling. Yeah. Most of the South yeah. is. Um, yeah, I, but I would not want to, to be in a state where I had to regularly report my child's progress. Some states have... Very limited reporting, but you were required to have your child take like either the Ohio test or the SSAT, like a standardized test at the end of the year and show that they are performing at grade level, whatever the hell that means. That's usually not that hard because those tests are designed to not be that hard. Um, my issue with that is how many kids go to the state school and can't pass those tests? Lots of them. But then they can use that as an excuse to say that you're failing. It's okay for them to fail. Hmm. 
But if you want another reason to take your kids out of school, that's what that's saying. It's okay for them to fail your child, but it's not okay for you to acknowledge your child's limitations and have them excel at five subjects and be slow in one. That's not okay, right? But it's okay for them to fail all of them. And they'll just, you know, they'll give them some special ed classes or something. That's and some extra that's the funding way they from the it. state government. But yeah, I would seriously consider right now strategic relocation. And homeschooling is only one reason why. There's some of these other states are going to become incredibly draconian. When you hear this stuff about defund the become. police, but okay, comparatively <laughs> speaking, compared to where they are, right? When yeah. you hear this defund the police, like I think everybody here is like, well, you know, hey, what do you mean by that? Because Without a state, we wouldn't have a state police force anyway, so we're not necessarily opposed to that as an idea. But when you hear somebody like New York or Oregon or Washington or California saying we're going to defund the police, they don't mean that, okay, so we're going to take a billion dollars out of law enforcement and give it back to the people (laughs) that paid the taxes. They mean we're going to set up a new social service agency. Yeah. Because we, when there's a domestic dispute, we should send a social worker instead of a cop. Okay, so Nicole and I talked about this this week. We were on my yeah. show together, right? But I'll ask you, let, let's say, John, who would you rather see show up at your door, your local sheriff's deputy or CPS? Who scares you more? Yeah, yeah CPS for sure if you have kiddos. Right. Ultimately, the best thing to, for someone to show up is the neighbor that calls the cops to walk yeah. on over there and say, hey, guys, hey. is everything okay? I agree with that on resolution, but I'm, I'm making a different point here. So yeah, for sure. When, you want to when get they the create the Department of Family Services and they send somebody because your neighbor heard you arguing with your wife and thinks you're beating her, do you think that agent of that agency is going to have more or less power to destroy your life than a sheriff's deputy or a local yeah. cop? Yeah. And don't you think that the minute they need a local cop, they're going to get one? In fact, when Pete's house is being robbed, right, but I'm I'm at John's house and I, I want a cop and I'm with the department of whatever, I'll get the cop while his house is being robbed and they'll get to him later. Like this is not going to res- – like the funding of the police is not going to resort – result in less of a police state. It will result in more of a police state. If it wouldn't, they wouldn't want it. The only reason the state would be behind it in the places where the state's like, yeah, this is a good idea, is because they know they're just shifting power to something with more power. Well, they're not really defunding anything. I mean, here in New York, Comrade de Blasio, uh, <laughs> there was like one certain like hit squad of the NYPD that was responsible for like a disproportionate amount of their murders. So what they did was they said the headlines in the paper for like a week, we're going to defund the police, we're going to defund the police. And they ended up moving those guys into a different department. So they nobody got defunded. They just got their job title switched. But that actually sort of bleeds into, like, the other aspect of this, which I don't think we've touched on yet, and that's the whole security issue. I mean, they can't even protect your children. Your children are being shot up yeah. at, with, at rifles in their schools. I mean, schools. So if they can't protect your kid, they damn sure can't teach the kid anything of value. I mean, it's just, I mean, the guy in Parkland, what, he was hiding behind a car while children were being murdered. And these are the people who we trust with our children's lives and our, their education, their future. It's crazy. Yeah. He got his job and his pension back. Yeah, it's, he, he probably got a raise the way the system works. I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised. That's a great point, and that's another reason why parents ought to consider pulling their kiddos out because there was a while there. Obviously, it slowed down with kids not being in school, but there was a while there where there was a lot of school shootings that were popping off regularly. And not only is that bad in itself, but it also is demonstrative of the culture that's there with these kids. We talked about bullying before, 
And there's just kids that are so damn mean to one another. And you just toss them all in this institution where they're there all day and they're talking smack on each other and everyone's insecure. Everyone's like projecting their insecurities onto each other and bullying the crap out of one another. It's not like that in our homeschool circles and our hippie unschool circles. Like there's not really any bullying at all. And there was this incident where some it, the teachers brought it up to me. Actually, I'm not even going to say how it came up, but some of the kids were saying that my son's uh, feet smell, right? And they weren't making fun of him. They were just like, hey, man, your feet smell. What's that yeah. smell? Yeah. And he didn't even feel insecure about it because he's like, oh, my feet smell. I don't wear socks. It wasn't like a year to the stinky <laughs> guy, whatever, whatever. But if something, you know, put that in a public school scenario oh, yeah. and all stinky of a sudden he's feet. the stinky kid. We're going to talk smack on him. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to Well, he's on. a stinky kid in, in, in like fifth grade. He's still stinky in 12th grade. Like that'll <laughs> yeah. never go away the way kids are. Yeah. You know, I think the other aspect of this, though, we were talking about the pods. We don't necessarily want to do that, but my wife's like, I do want them socially engaged with other kids. And like, so we decided, Hey, you know what we want to do? We want to set up like a meetup group for homeschoolers and do like, you know, maybe twice a month. And we can do things here at my farm where we do tours. We can go to the arboreum. We can do all these different things. So we put on next door that we were looking at setting this up. And immediately we got a couple of people interested. My wife got in touch with a lady just moved here from California to escape that hell hole. And she's excited and, we're going to actually do a formal, you know, use meetup.com and do a meetup group. And the beauty of that is you get this big group. And then when you run an event, you know how meetup groups work. Like if you can have a thousand people in a meetup group and 50 show up, right? So you have enough people, but you feed that. And then as you have these engagements, kids meet each other. And maybe, you know, maybe John and I are kids and, and John and I like each other. We, we So now our parents know, hey, let's get John and Jack together to play. Yeah. But maybe maybe Nicole and Sal freaking hate each other. Well, they're not going to be forced together, right? They're not going to be forced together, you know. Sal may pull her hair because he likes her, but she doesn't like him. She doesn't have to deal with his crap, right? Like, And, and that that is actually – now we're actually teaching children how to form – develop and build relationships in the real world, which is what we claim school does for them. And it doesn't because that's how we all make friends. We go out to places, we socialize. I'm like, Hey, you know what? Nicole's cool. We'll, we'll hang out. And like, you know, Pete's a dick. I don't want to, and he's Pete's like Jack's a dick. Well, we don't ever see each other again. And nobody's like, Oh man, you know, Pete and Jack should have like, we, they should have tried harder. They're like, they don't like each other. So what? Who gives a shit? Only in this weird ass institution forced by the state do, do we ever expect people who don't like each other to spend time together all day. All corporate day jobs, long. corporate jobs. Yeah, Just but you know, say. like I you can quit fun. my job. Yeah. You can quit your job, right? right? But it's that's the justification. You have to learn how to navigate these horribly abusive relationships mm. with your peers to be ready for your corporate job where you will also have horribly abusive relationships. Mm. That was literally told to me when I was being bullied as a kid. Let me tell you some as you can sh- tell, I'm in a great corporate job right now enduring bullying. This is, this is the words that I, I learned, and I think they're valuable for anybody to learn when you start dealing with people like that in a, in a, in a job. I was looking for a job when I found this one. Yeah. I, I'm not taking your shit. Like, you know, I'll, I'll do my job for you, but I, I, no, I like, and I, I actually said that one time to an employer who kind of threatened my job over something that had nothing to do with work. And I said, I was looking for a job when I found this one. And that was you know the end I, of that. You know, I, they, well, they, they fired me. So that, no, no, <laughs> no, that was the end of that. Like I never dealt with that again. 
And, you know, you learn to deal with the real world in the real world, not in some artificial microcosm of nonsense, which is what school is. The irony of all of this is that whenever there was a school shooting, you know, over the last 15, 20 years for me, people would complain about it. I'd be like, all right, just eliminate schools. And it, no. it took it took a it took a virus that's that killed that's killed point zero 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 five percent of the population to get people to start questioning schools. But it worked. I was gonna say take what I can get, bro. <laughs> Price worth paying. It's just it's insane. It's it, the the good things that have come out of this, you know, which is just some kind of silver lining or some kind of just um causality but the all the bad that's come out of it too is um equally as horrible and i think that the schooling and the education that people have gotten is what is causing all of the bad in this. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they just go along you know, with anything that the government says because they were educated by the government. The, the person sitting behind the desk has been replaced with the person sitting behind the screen. Yeah. And the person behind the screen said, wear your masks, stay home and save lives. And then wear your masks, stay home, save lives. Like it, like a literal, like just chant of, of a catchphrase like that's all you have to do to get the american people to do anything is get them to remember a catchphrase and then they'll do it right stay at home save lives flatten the curve wear a mask like that's okay you're trained so why is anybody surprised that this works on people um pulling it back is like we probably should wrap up soon um one of the things that homeschooling does though and i don't care how you do it Things like the meetup group that I was talking about, we always talk about wanting to build community, build community, build community. What builds community is common ideals and common interests. And I have found that like if you get parents together that are homeschooling, they're going to develop a relationship. So I think like if you want community around you, and it, you know your community doesn't all have to be agorists and, and freaking libertarians, and it's probably not going to be because we're the minority. You know, Nicole is doing great at building a community right in her own backyard and bringing people in there. That's not everybody that comes in there thinks the way Nicole does politically yet. I mean, the the voodoo mind washing will happen in time, right? Um, (laughs) But like, reach out, like, get involved with homeschooling, and immediately you are part of a larger community. And I have Mm -hmm. never met people so. Willing to embrace new, like, like it's, a, it's almost a cult, right? Cause it's like one of us now, you know, like when, but in a good way, yeah. because as soon as you, you say, Hey, I'm homeschooling my kids on a site like next door. Oh, we do too. We do too. We do too. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I, and I've, I've lived here seven years. I knew none of these people and now they all want to meet. They all want to hang out. So I think like, you know, I hate to put it, but you're almost using your kids to build community, but mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a bad thing. Well, I think no, that happens naturally already. Your kids make friends with kids, and that's how you meet their parents. Yeah, yes. they're better at breaking the ice than. Or your nieces, you know. However, yeah. I have to use my nieces for that. But it is, it's a way because you know I have a lot of libertarian and agorist friends, but I don't have only libertarian and agorist friends. And if I did, it would suck. Yeah, because we argue all the time. I know about the one percent we disagree <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. We uh, one of our biggest uh, middle cadres in the Freedom Cell Network is based around children. It's several families that all have kids, and one of the things that is really important to them is ensuring that these children can grow up in an environment that isn't as whacked out as it was for us. And I think we're at a pretty big crossroads here because. I've always said this even before the COVID stuff, but the expansion of the police state and surveillance state has most definitely accelerated and things could become more technocratic, more controlling. And honestly, I think it's going to be pretty psychologically harmful for children to be in this public school scenario. And it already was, right? It's going to be even more harmful with the mandatory masks and everyone behind plexiglass and the constant washing of the hands and the social distancing. So, Really, it's the future generation that's going to bring about the change. They're going to be the game changers. And I've talked about before how we need to, as agorists, as libertarian, as visionaries, we need to take ourselves out of the election of the day every four years, out of the reactionary paradigm where we're constantly responding to government tyranny and start thinking proactively, start thinking generationally. So the work that we're doing today through our podcast, through this show, through giving our children the freedom that they deserve is going to set the stage for when our children come into adulthood and they understand freedom, they respect freedom, and they have institutions that are there to support their freedom. So it's it's really important because, like I said earlier in the program, one of the reasons why the government's able to get away with such treachery is because the kids have been programmed, as we've been talking about on the show, and conditioned to accept that arbitrary authority. So we now have an opportunity to pull them out of it and not be the little lone wolf in the woods that's pulling them out of it, right? Everyone's doing it at the same time. So we can leverage that opportunity, not only to grow a community, like Jack said, but to give our kids the education and the freedom that they deserve. Um, we probably are long enough we should start wrapping up. I think Pete has another commitment or something, so maybe we can let Pete first. If you want to go around, just some final thoughts on this, because I don't think we have any more questions in chat. I mean, I'll go. I I, I went to both public school, uh, K through eight, and I went to Catholic school and six months of public school in high school. And honestly, I, I wish at that time there had been homeschooling. Um, I think that my parents realized that I was, it was not doing anything for me. And I think my parents cared enough about my education that if the, if there was programs like that, if it was even allowed, I mean, I, I knew a girl who got taken away from her family because her dad pulled her out of school. This is in the, this is in the early eighties. Um, yeah, I think it would have been great. And yeah, I remember 20 years ago, um, and somebody who I become friends with, who was a friend of mine who was homeschooling his kids and now the kid's an adult and, you know, we talk on social media all the time and he's so, such a good person. And most of the, the ones I knew from back then that when I talked to them, they are just the most solid people. I, I just, then you see people who went through the system and it's just, they're mindless drones and they really are. I, mean, I, I would, if people can do it, do it. And, you know, the whole pod idea, that is so perfect because, you know, the one thing you hear is, you know, my, even my wife, I said, if we ever had a kid, we'd homeschool him. She's like, well, I can't teach him math. I'm like, well, I can teach math. But if neither one of us could teach math with the pod, 
with, with that kind of, uh, with the pod idea, you can have someone who can come in there and do it. I mean, it's just, there's no reason for government to be in school anymore. And like I said, just the way it's set up is an anachronism to a hundred, 120 years ago. Right on. So, um, if I could, one thing I want to, one point I want to squeeze in there is I think it was, I think it was UP or maybe it was you, Jack, who posted the meme about, uh, the healthcare worker handing the baton to the teacher. And that is a very common occurrence. Like whenever these government monopolies start to fail, they start to become lionized by the state. Mm. Same way England worships the NHS who only murders children for, you know, they pay tax dollars to murder their own kids. It's the same thing that's going to start happening with public schools. So be on the lookout for that and don't let them lionize these, these institutions of indoctrination. Can you explain what, what do you mean by lionize? I don't, I'm not picking up on the term. Like they're trying to turn it into this sacred cow. They're right? heroes. They're, right, they're, exactly. they're heroes yeah. that don't wear capes, right? Yeah, that's that's been a common meme from society that te- teachers are heroes. Teachers are people who have jobs. Um, when when I when people tell me that, I'm like, describe what a hero is, and whatever they describe generally does not describe the average teacher. Are there teachers who I would say are heroes to some of their students? You bet your ass, but like, you're not a hero just because you're a teacher. There's some teacher. I had teachers when I was in public school in Jacksonville before we moved up to Pennsylvania that honestly, they were teaching English. They couldn't speak English. And it wasn't because English wasn't their first language. Let me be clear. Like, they literally just could not speak English, and yet they were teaching English grammar. And that person's not a hero. You know, somebody that's abusive to children is not a hero just because they're a teacher. And so when when he's saying lionize, that's what he's talking about is basically making them something to be held up as better than you. Exactly. And that's how you suppress homeschooling. You make parents teach think that teachers are so special, you can't possibly do what a teacher does. Well, then your teachers sucked, didn't they? Because what you're <laughs> saying is you can't teach what you learned in school that was so important, which means you mm. don't know it. Yeah. So it's preposterous, but when you're conditioned, you believe it. I mean, I think all of us probably struggled for some period of time with that conditioning before we broke it. I know I did. I'm out, guys. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Peter. Hi, Peter. Nicole, you got any final words? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to take the Anne of Green Gables view on this one. So what we can learn from Anne of Green Gables is that she went through that school graduated, and before she went to college, she taught for a year at the same school she went to. And if Anne of Green Gables can do that, a parent who has finished their bachelor's degree or not, Mm -hmm. you can homeschool your kids. The concepts of the pods are intriguing to me because it's sort of that bottom-up thing, and the the reaction to that is going to be a push for accreditation. So there's going to be a backlash of, oh, well, you know, it's not accredited, so it doesn't count. So there's there's going to be this elitist push, I think, back on all of these things that are happening right now. And if more of us jump on board at this moment for homeschooling, pod schooling, whatever you need to unschooling, whatever you're going to do, you can't push it. You can't, like, put that back. You can't put the, the ocean wave back in the ocean. It's Let just going to come. Accreditation and, is a much bigger problem at the university level, like where Thaddeus is at, like he had a show recently he did with somebody where he talked about Thaddeus Russell that, that Pete mentioned earlier. Yeah. Because at the collegiate level, now money's involved and can you get a loan. 
Accreditation means the square root of fuck all in primary and, and secondary education. It means absolutely fucking nothing. It, it does until not some legislator matter. makes it matter. And that's that's why we need to let this this wave need, out of the gate. Now. But, right, but what I'm saying is right now, like parents are so worried, is it accredited? Is it accredited? It yeah. means nothing. The only reason your kid goes to school is so they can have a diploma and so they can go to college. Those are the only two reasons your kid goes to high school. When you want to go to college, there's only two things a college wants to know to let you into high school. Can you pass a test and do you have money? Hmm. And they don't care how you get the money. They just care that you have money to pay the tuition and they will let you in. We have kids that are homeschooled in Texas that are 14 taking classes at community college right now. It is not hard to, there is, it has, they never, no college will ever say, but was it accredited? What are your ACTs, your SATs, and where's your funding? Okay, you may come to school now. That's, and, and trust me, that will become more true because they're fucked too. The, the university system is going to get like raped with an old school box cheese grater over the next year with what's going to happen there. Like they're in worse, worse trouble. Obsolete. So they will beg for students because things like, um, Udacity with like the coder camps and stuff that like you do six months and it's 1800 bucks and you got a guaranteed job at Google. Like if, if I want to be in computers, why the hell would I go to freaking Columbia for four years for a degree in computer science when I could be working for Google in six months for $1,800? Yeah. Or Nicole, you have another that, what is that? Um, Praxis, discover Praxis, right? Oh like, yeah, they're great. You yeah. know that guy, like that's they're libertarian, yeah. right? Yeah, you, six month boot camp, six month internship, guaranteed job, mm-hmm. and your internship pays as much as your tuition, so that it equals out and you basically yeah. it's free. Yeah, you put some money out, but you earn it back. Yeah. basically. Like, why? Why would anybody use this old system unless you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer? Or I had this eighteen year old kid on my show today. The kid's amazing. He started a publishing company. He was fifteen. He's going to freaking Harvard, right? I mean, like. If you're that kid, you probably belong in that system, and that's fine. But I bet you that kid would have excelled at homeschool if he had the chance. Yeah, and my point and go is, to Harvard. is that we need the numbers doing these alternatives rather than doing the zombie yeah. training that's happening right now digitally. Automaton. Because they're going to push back. The state's going to push back. And the more more parents who have, like, done it for a year, yeah, the more the, the harder it is for them to, to just to bring to bring the ponies back. If nobody owned a gun, it would be easy. if nobody owned a gun, it would be easy to take away the right to own a gun. Yeah, right. right? The reason you can't take away guns is because people have guns. Yeah, right? it's We're not, not doing you have that the here right, in Texas. Right? You don't have the right. It's not because we have the right. It's because we've exercised the right. So you have the right to homeschool. Like it amazed me. Like when this shit all went down in Texas, Braylon's school sent a thing home that said, "We're giving you the option to either do virtual school or come back to the classroom." Well, is it that sweet? They're giving me the option to do something <laughs> that I have a fucking right to do, mm. right? Come, like, I, that's so, and you know what that is? That is in the five stages of grief. That is passing through stage three of bar. They're bargaining to try to get kids back. Cause this whole shit about it's not as good or whatever, that don't hold water. And we owe our asses to people like John who have been doing this for decades already because they've already had, uh, uh, you know, millions of kids come through this system 
They do better. They get into college more often. They complete college more often. They have better careers. They win all the national science fairs. They win all the national spelling bees. They found all they, the companies. They kick the ass out of the conventionally schooled kids already. So that whole argument that we need them is already it's already moot. The numbers are already there to prove it to be ridiculous. Because schools, are, what are schools big on? Eighty percent of our children go on to college. Yeah, what percent graduate? Homeschoolers graduate 14% higher nationally from college once they start. Mm. And it's part of it's probably because homeschool kids that shouldn't be in college don't go. They're not pushed into it. They like, hey, I want to go do welding for 80 grand a year. Go on, son. Yeah. Get, get on it. Like, that's how that works there. So anyway, anybody else got anything else? Because I think we're. Yeah, let's let's leave it at that. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Unloose the Goose, Episode 6. We've been talking about alternatives to government school, and I think we painted a pretty good picture about why government schools suck and how there's an opportunity now to put your kids in the alternatives, whether it's unschooling, child-led, whether it's homeschooling with the curriculum or a group or a pod. I would advise you to do the pod thing. Try to decouple from the public school curriculum because that still keeps you kind of there. Or it's a private school. You got Montessori. You got Reggio Emilia. You got Waldorf, a whole slew of, of private schools that could be of like mind. It's up to you to make that jump. And uh, we're here. This is a show about solutions, not just ideas. So join us on the Telegram chat. Feel free to reach out to us on the contact on the Unloose the Goose page. If you want advice, if you're looking for support or ideas, join us in the Telegram chat. We're there having a conversation and send us a message. Uh, we would love to help you in this transition because the, it's the future generations that are going to buck off the tyranny and create the free world that we're all yearning for. And the way that they're educated is a really big, important piece of that puzzle. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next week, peace. Thanks, guys. Unloose the goose We'll take no views Your paradigm's run out of time And we've got 